This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Online MedEd's Intern Bootcamp, the 40-hour-plus program designed by the one and only Dustin Williams and the team from Online MedEd that teaches you the unspoken, unwritten rules of residency that everyone will judge you on and gives you the tools and hacks you need to be the best intern in your program. It covers everything from time management, clinical reasoning, how to optimally present patients, write orders, call consults, be efficient on rounds, fight against burnout, how to communicate with colleagues and staff, and how to write specific note types efficiently, succinctly, plus a lot more. You can get lifetime access for $99 by going to onlinemeded.org. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. All right, so we are back from our hiatus. Uh, We took a little longer than we had hoped just because, well, we all have jobs and or our medical students. And we have been working hard on our all audio cue bank. The details for that you can get by going to insidetheboards.com slash QBank and you can learn about what we're doing. But basically the ITB all audio cue bank, there are two versions. One for clinical clerkships, require clerkships, step two type of content, which is powered by Online MedEd, who is providing us high quality, high yield questions. And then another version for preclinical first, second year students, USMLE step one type of stuff, powered by Osmosis. But basically, the ITB All Audio QBank is our answer to the question. How do I get more learning in while I'm driving, working out, and doing other stuff during the day? You're busy and you have our podcast, but we believe we can do more. So we teamed up with two of our favorite content partners to offer audio-optimized questions for you to study on the go. Right now, we're hosting everything on Podbean. And if you haven't downloaded the Podbean app, I would highly encourage you to do that. It is an excellent podcatcher. I've switched over to using it, and it offers a lot of great features, uh, such as integrating premium content, which will make our offering of the audio cue bank much easier for you guys who want to purchase it. 
the full details on the ways you can access the audio cue bank can be found on our website at insidetheboards.com slash QBank. You can also hear a little intro as to the rationale why we ended up doing this in more depth right on the web page. But let me break it down for you in summary. So who's the QBank for? Well, we've got two versions, like I said. The first and second year version, we're aiming at first or second year medical students, and it's going to contain USMLE Step 1 slash Comlex Level 1 type of content. And then the other version is our clerkship slash Step 2 uh, version, which is powered by online meded, aimed at uh, students on their required rotations to help them study for shelf exams and USMLE Step 2 Comlex Level 2 type of stuff. What's the first and second year version going to have? Well, we're launching an initial set of questions now, and we'll be adding about 40 to 50 questions per month to end up covering about 14 hours of total audio content with about 500 questions from anatomy, behavioral sciences, biochem, ethics, biostats, micro, farm, repro, cardiology, endocrine, nephrology, neurosciences, you know, basically everything that you have to learn for your preclinical years. The third year version we're launching initially with questions from psych, OBGYN, and internal medicine. And then we're going to be adding general surgery, pediatrics, and family medicine content with about 30 to 40 questions per month uh, added to each of those uh, subjects, again, hoping by May 2018 to have about 500 total questions or roughly 14 hours of audio material. So unfortunately, due to the hurricane, believe it or not, there are some delays with the third year version um, of the audio cue bank, and we had some job-related issues that delayed our goal launch of 120 questions per each version of the QBank. So because of that, we are going to extend the current one-year access price to either version for $79 plus as podcast listeners at the checkout page on insidetheboards.com slash QBank. Use the offer code podcast for another 15% off. But basically, you pay the one-time fee and you'll get access to one year uh, of either version of the audio QBank. The other channel that will be available is going to be the ITB Premium Podcast subscription, which will be $14.99 per month and include both versions of the Audio Cue Bank bonus content and other kind of premium-only uh, material we'll be releasing throughout the year. All the details are over at insidetheboards.com slash QBank. We eventually want to turn this into an actual QBank so that you can selectively study whatever, you know, material you want to cover that day, kind of like how UWorld, Osmosis, USMLERX, all the usual QBank products you're used to are set up as far as the user interface goes. For now, how we have it set up is three to five audio-optimized multiple-choice questions are put into tracks of 10 to 15 minutes. So until we can churn this out into an actual audio cue bank with a nice user interface and app, that's how we have it set up. 
our feedback from the users who were in our beta group has been generally positive, uh, but we'd also like to hear from you. So if you have some suggestions on how to do this, how to make it better, what works for you guys as far as study goes, send an email to podcast at insidetheboards.com. For our main podcast over the next month and a half or so, uh, we're going to be giving you samples of the audio cue bank um, in, from various subjects and from either version so you can get an idea of what we're doing and uh, help us improve it as we continue to develop the content over the next year. We've got me, Stuart, and Elizabeth all reading questions from various subjects. So without further ado, here is Elizabeth with a sample of biochem questions from our first and second year version of the ITB All Audio QBank. Thanks for listening to all of that. I really appreciate it. And please tell your friends about ITB's podcast and our All Audio QBank. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Inside the Board's All Audio Question Bank brought to you by Osmosis. And for this section, we will be doing some biochemistry questions. So let's get started. First question is, a three-day-old infant presents to your office with significant rectal and umbilical site bleeding. No other symptoms are present. His mother who accompanied him was proud that she had delivered him at home with the aid of a midwife. There were no complications during pregnancy or delivery. His APGAR scores were nine at one minute and five minutes. Since the delivery, the baby has been breastfeeding well and has not required any hospital or healthcare visits. What is the best treatment of the patient's symptoms? Answer choice A, iron supplements. Choice B, IVIG. Choice C, vitamin B1 supplements. Or choice D, vitamin K shot. And the correct answer is, of course, vitamin K shot. Choice D. So remember that newborn infants who are born at home and are exclusively breastfed are going to miss out on some of the things we normally do after a delivery in a hospital. One of those is that infants are normally typically given vitamin K at birth to prevent any deficiency-related bleeding complications. So patients who are born at home or for some reason don't receive that shot are at increased risk for these bleeding complications described in the vignette. Classic vitamin K deficiency develops within the first week of life and is characterized by cutaneous gastrointestinal and umbilical and circumcision site bleeding in neonates. Though infants who are exclusively breastfed are at risk for iron deficiency, this tends to take more time to develop. Furthermore, vitamin K shots should be the first line of treatment. And the major takeaway that you should remember is that vitamin K is given to most children born in the hospital immediately after birth to prevent early deficiency-related bleeding. With the increase in home birthing and other methods and an increased aversion to quote-unquote vaccines, which vitamin K is obviously not, in children, more children are not receiving this preventative injection at birth. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Next question. 
A 38-year-old man had a small melanoma in situ tumor that was removed by your plastic surgeon service. His wound is not healing as quickly as expected. You check the medications that the patient is on and find that he takes a multivitamin, a statin for high cholesterol, and dexamethasone for an acute relapse of MS. What would you give the patient to help his wound heal faster? Choice A, add no medications. Instead, take the patient off of his statin. B, add a higher dose of dexamethasone. C, this is a sign that the tumor mass was not completely removed. Or D, add vitamin A supplementation. And the correct answer is choice D. Vitamin A has been indicated to offset slow wound healing caused by steroid use through the activation of TGF-beta and IGF-1. Retinoids, including those with vitamin A activity, are critically important in the body. Retinol, also another name for vitamin A, is stored in the liver and distributed in a regulated manner throughout the body. Rapidly growing tissues are sensitive to vitamin A deficiency. However, high levels, which can accumulate because vitamin A is fat-soluble, can also be toxic and inhibit collagen synthesis, such as in the skin. So remember that vitamin A has been indicated to offset slow wound healing caused by steroid use through activation of TGF-beta and IGF-1. Vitamin A toxicity inhibits collagen synthesis, however, leading to poor wound healing in turn. Next question. A 42-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician with a chief complaint of fatigue. She says that she has been sleeping more than usual. She has gained 20 pounds over the past year and has no energy to exercise. On physical exam, she appears tired and her skin is dry. Her sclera are white. Her Caucasian skin appears to have an orange-yellow hue. Which of the following is most likely to be increased in this woman's serum? And the answer choices are A, conjugated bilirubin, B, provitamin A, C, retinol, or D, zinc. And the correct answer is provitamin A. The woman presents with some of the classic symptoms of something we should know a lot about, hypothyroidism. When you see weight gain, fatigue, and dry skin, you definitely want to be thinking about hypothyroid. So hypothyroid patients may also present with keratinemia, which is high blood levels of beta carotene, which manifests as xanthoderma, the yellowed skin. Beta carotene builds up in the blood due to lack of thyroxine, which normally speeds the conversion of beta carotene to retinol. Beta carotene is a lipochrome that normally contributes to the yellow tone of skin. When it is increased in the blood, it attributes extra yellow pigmentation. It is especially prominent in areas where the stratum corneum is thickened, like the palms and soles. It's more noticeable to light-skinned individuals. Dark-skinned individuals may present primarily with yellowing of the palms and soles. Carotinemia is most commonly seen in young children who are fed exclusively excessive amounts of beta-carotene-rich foods like squash, sweet potatoes, and carrots. may also be seen in some instances of diabetes mellitus, hyperlipidemia, anorexia nervosa, or hepatic and renal disease. The major takeaway is that keratinemia is yellowing of the skin associated with beta-carotene ex- excess and can be seen in hypothyroidism. Next question. A 59-year-old Caucasian man presents to the emergency room with ataxic gait and confusion. Physical examination shows he is mildly icteric. 
A positive fluid wave test is observed on abdominal examination along with caput medusa. Lab results demonstrate a serum aspartate aminotransferase activity of 39 and a serum alanine aminotransferase activity of 54. Family history is positive for diabetes mellitus, Alzheimer's disease, and ischemic stroke. You begin to administer glucose concurrently with a substance that you believe to be deficient in the patient. Which of the following cardiac abnormalities can be seen in patients with the same deficiency? Choices are A, aortic stenosis, B, dilated cardiomyopathy, C, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or D, mitral valve prolapse. And the correct answer is B, dilated cardiomyopathy. So remember that vitamin B1 or thiamine is integral to several parts of energy metabolism, notably the citric acid cycle and pentose phosphate pathway. It forms a component of certain dehydrogenase enzymes like pyruvate dehydrogenase. Deficiencies in vitamin B1 can present in a variety of different ways. Wernicke's encephalopathy is often seen in individuals that abuse alcohol. Signs and symptoms include altered mental status, unstable gait, and ophthalmoplegia. It is important for clinicians to appreciate the role of vitamin B1 in these patients. Administration of glucose without prior or concurrent administration of B1 can exacerbate neurological damage and potentially lead to the irreversible Korsakoff syndrome. This condition is marked by confabulation, memory impairment, and hallucination. Then we have a wet beriberi, and wet beriberi is the one that we're going to be thinking about now. This can be another potential manifestation of vitamin B1 deficiency. Wet beriberi carries the risk of developing dilated cardiomyopathy as compared to dry beriberi, which is generally restricted to neurological symptoms, including peripheral neuropathy. Given that the patient likely has Wernicke's encephalopathy arising from vitamin B1 deficiency, the most likely cardiac symptom also seen in these cases is dilated cardiomyopathy. Next question. A 19-year-old student comes to your office with scleral jaundice. Skin is yellow and the patient is clearly fatigued. Blood tests reveal elevated liver enzymes. Which of the following cofactors is required by the liver enzymes in order for the reactions in this patient to proceed? A. Biotin. B. Lipoic acid. C. Thiamine pyrophosphate. Or D. Vitamin B6. And the correct answer is vitamin B6. Remember that the liver enzymes are alanine aminotransferase, ALT, and aspartate aminotransferase, AST. These reactions require vitamin B6, which is paradoxal phosphate, to proceed. And if we want to go a little bit further, glutamic acid and pyruvic acid together are converted with using ALT to alpha-ketoglutaric acid and alanine. B6 is required for that. The big takeaway to remember is ALT and AST-involved reactions require vitamin B6 to go forward. A 90-year-old woman presents to her routine doctor's checkup. She complains of lethargy, weakness, and tingling sensation in her fingers and toes. Her eyesight has also deteriorated. On physical examination, her tongue is inflamed and her conjunctiva are pale. Labs show that her hemoglobin is 9.8 and her MCV is 115. Which of the following nutritional deficiencies does she most likely have? And to repeat, her hemoglobin is low, her MCV is high. Her mean corpuscular volume is high. So of the options, which nutritional deficiency does she have? And the answer choices are A, folate deficiency, 
B, vitamin B2 deficiency. C, vitamin D, B3 deficiency. Or D, vitamin B12 deficiency. And the correct answer is vitamin B12 deficiency. This is easy. Vitamin B12 is a cause of macrocytic anemia. That's a patient with a low hemoglobin and a high MCV. The other thing we think about for that is folate deficiency. Vitamin B12 deficiency includes other signs and symptoms like glossitis and neurologic findings like paresthesias, optic neuropathy, and subacute combined degeneration. Next question. A researcher discovers a previously unknown disease in which cells contain a mutation in a cell surface receptor. The mutation causes the receptor to become inactive. However, Western blotting shows that the mutant and wild-type receptors have the same molecular weight. What type of mutation do these patients likely carry? Choice is R, A, a deletion mutation, B, a frame shift mutation, C, a missense single nucleotide mutation, or D, a nonsense single nucleotide mutation? And the answer is a missense mutation, choice C. So the only mutation which would result in a protein of the same molecular weight is a missense mutation, which causes a single amino acid substitution. This could cause a structural change in the receptor, making it inactive or, or unable to bind its ligand. Deletion, nonsense, and frame shift mutations would all result in a shortened protein and therefore wouldn't have the same molecular weight. As a side note, a splice site mutation causes an intron to be left in during mRNA processing, resulting in a longer protein or shorter protein if the intron contains a stop codon. That one would also likely have a different weight. Next question. A 45-year-old woman with hypertension and dyslipidemia is prescribed an agent designed to increase her HDL and lower her triglycerides. Her concurrent medications include atorvastatin and hydrochlorothiazide, both of which she has been taking for two years with no adverse drug reactions. Upon taking the new medication for the first time, she experiences all the features of germal toxicity, ruber, tumor, color, and dolor. She is very bothered by these changes in her skin and calls her physician to ask what she should do. What is the best remedy for this cutaneous reaction? Choice A, premedication with diphenhydramine. B, premedication with aspirin. C, discontinuing atorvastatin. Or D, discontinuation of hydrochlorothiazide. And the correct answer is premedication with aspirin, choice B. So remember that this patient is having flushing. It's a very common symptom when starting niacin therapy. Niacin is an adjunct in therapies designed to favorably alter lipid profiles. Niacin flush is characterized by redness of the face and neck after oral niacin administration. It's not fully understood, but it's thought to involve both early and late acting mediators, similarly to a hypersensitivity reaction. The enzymes COX-1 and COX-2 are thought to play a pivotal role. Their inhibition via aspirin prior to administration of niacin is helpful in mitigating this response. Regardless, this reaction is alarming to many patients and may be itchy and uncomfortable. It is important to warn patients about niacin flush anytime niacin is first prescribed, as this is not an allergic reaction. This irritated flushing reaction will typically diminish over 7 to 10 days with the continued use of niacin, but this is still the most frequent reason for discontinuation of this drug. Next question. 
A 56-year-old man with a long history of alcohol abuse presents to the ER with multiple neurological problems and a history of multiple ER visits. The nurse sets him up with multiple fluids, including one to replace something that he may be missing as a vitamin. If this vitamin deficiency is presumed to be the reason for his presentation, which of the following enzymes is most likely to be functioning abnormally? Choice A, dopamine hydroxylase. Choice B, propionyl CoA carboxylase. Choice C, pyruvate carboxylase. Or D, pyruvate dehydrogenase. And the correct answer is D, pyruvate dehydrogenase. The short of this is the patient probably has thiamine deficiency based on his alcoholism in the past and the fact that he's getting the supplementation. Thiamine is one that we should associate with dehydrogenase reactions and transketolates. Biotin is the one that we need for carboxylase reactions. Vitamin C is needed for hydroxylase reactions. And B12 is classically needed for homocysteine, methyltransferase, and methylmalonyl-CoA mutates. So there you have it. There is an example of the all-audio QBank from the first and second year version, biochemistry, thanks to Osmosis for providing that content. Next show, we will be featuring a smattering of questions from our other favorite content partner, Online MedEd, who is providing material for the third year version of the QBank. From now until October 1st, leave a review and rating of the podcast on iTunes. Send your screenshot to podcast at insidetheboards.com and you'll be entered to win one year of access to the ITB All Audio QBank for free. And thanks to Sam and Alex from Magic Man for letting us use the track Out of Mind off their 2014 album Before the Waves, which GQ described as 12 tracks of alt joy. To hear more, check them out at magicmanmusic.com or follow them on facebook.com slash magicmanmusic. As always, Thanks for listening and sharing Inside the Boards with your friends. Inside the Boards is not affiliated with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, Comprehensive Osteopathic Medical Licensing Examination, National Board of Medical Examiners, National Board of Osteopathic Medical Examiners, or any other licensing or examination body. All exam names or other trademarks are the property of the respective trademark owners, Content discussed during this program is the property of inside the boards or the attributed owner and may not be reproduced without permission from the appropriate entity. Inside the boards fully adheres to the respective policies on irregular behavior outlined by the aforementioned credentialing bodies. All content discussed is for educational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice.